Welcome back to Double D Do Business, and we're back here in part two of our Top Gear special. It's not actual Top Gear, though, Debbie, is it? This is the weirdest start ever to a Double D podcast. Can you start the official one, please? Uh, you're going to edit it? No. Oh, the official one? Uh, must just give Debbie some coaching. Be aware of your volume, you're all the way over there. Okay. Can you hear Debbie, Ryan? I can hear Debbie. Oh yeah, isn't she wonderful to listen to? So uh, I'm going to do take two of this uh, special edition uh, with Ryan Stockton. Welcome back to Double D Do Business. I'm Dave Evans and we're here with Ryan and... Debbie Halls Evans. Who is still here, even though she was here a few minutes ago. So last time, if you tuned in, we were at this great session with Ryan that finished really on an epic moment, a cliff edge cliffhanger at five and a half a thousand moment. feet meters to be correct now but I, I have to pick a duel with Ryan because um we were talking about the podcast later in the day and uh I was talking about how high it was with our daughter, our daughter Callie and Callie was going oh that's a long way I said yeah can't beat Ryan in an endurance ride can't beat him for speed in fact he battered me on Cyclobra and withdrew took, took me down to being sick but I can go after the height but even that now seems like you put that way out of reach <laughs> with, with where you can go and do that so congratulations to you welcome back Ryan good morning thank you yeah hi 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 so what I would like to achieve out of this is I know that it is a cycling adventure and I think we did really well in part one I, I thought it was an adventure where he just happened to cycle. That's exactly it, you see. So as I know you two can talk bikes for hours, months, days, years, uh, I want to stay on focus on some of the amazing stuff and some of the stuff that you had to overcome, the challenges, and I know you've got even more exciting stories to tell us about the trip. Um, and I know that Dave's going to share what a happiness model is as well to us, Ryan. So we've got lots to talk about. So can we start at the summit the pinnacle of the trip, because ultimately being five and a half thousand meters, I don't think many people in this world have been. Um, no, unless they've been in a plane. Yeah, but I know, as in physically body stood at five and a half thousand meters. As in took, the, yeah, took themselves. And there. a bike. Yeah, took themselves and all their stuff. Yes. Yeah. self sherpered is yeah. that a word? I think that works, yeah. <laughs> I think I've just completely made that up. Uh, but in reference to that, talk to us about that moment, what you and your partner, Ben, that were doing when you were up there, and then what was next? Well, we took a photo. You took we got... a photo. <laughs> we're going to share that photo. <laughs> no, we, we knew that was a really special moment. I think I mentioned it the last podcast. It, it was a real a real like moment for reflection about why am I here? Why am I, you know, why am I doing this trip? Um, is this what I expected it to feel like when I got to this point? Um, so it was really cool to have the time at a space like that to, to, to actually stop and think and reflect on where we got to because a lot of people don't have the luxury of that when they get over that pass. In fact, they just want to try and get down the other side as quickly as possible because of the weather. But after we'd done that, um, there's only one way to go, right? And that is down. And it was really down. We spent the next three days going down, uh, which, which if, you know, for a bike rider, that's unusual. And that's quite nice to just be plowing your way downhill pretty steadily for three days. But it was extraordinary the way that once we got over the top, everything changed. It was like we dropped into a different country. 
because the landscape was totally different. The um, the the other side of the of the past took us into um, what we didn't realise until we got there was the world's deepest gorge. Wow. It's not the Grand Canyon in the US, as many would believe. It's a good pub trivia question, actually. Yeah. It is the Kali Gandaki in uh, in Nepal, uh, and this is what we dropped into, and it was like some crazy moonscape, huge landscape again, but totally different to anything we'd seen. And so, you might think that dropping down from the hill, and quite often it is the case when you go up a big summit on a bike or on foot that it's almost like the job's done when you start going down but it was straight into a new adventure because everything was different and uh, how, did you, how did your wrist fare hmm? how did your wrist fare sorry can i yeah. interrupt go back to that one in a minute can i just ask you said there was some reflection at the top of the summit and i think this is the bit that people can dismiss so your goal was to get up there and actually see the world what what did it feel like did it beat the anticipation that you thought it was going to be. Because you camped the night before, didn't you, as well, at altitude? We spent, yeah, we spent uh, the night at 4,800 or something like that metres. Yeah, very high. But I would say it wasn't the only goal for the trip, for sure. It was one of the things we wanted to do was to get very high on the bikes. But it wasn't the only goal. Um, the wider goal was definitely to experience an adventure and experience the culture that we um, that we went to Nepal and India for. But yeah, I, I think it was definitely a moment where um, it, it's it's a it's a feeling that you only get when you have to work really hard for something. And we had pushed and pedalled and cursed and sweated our way up to this high point for seven days uh, continuously. And the last, believe me, the last couple of days were so hard to get the bikes up because I think it was 35 kilos weight per bike, um, which is a lot. And um, with half the amount of oxygen that your body's used to having, it really makes a big difference. And it was so steep at the end as well. So you only really get that sense sometimes when you really had to work hard for something. And, um, and you just get an immense amount of satisfaction from it, I think. Um, when you've worked for something that you know is um, is pretty rare, really. Um, rare amongst most people, but definitely rare in your own lifetime. I agree with that, and I love that. There's two moments there, so it's feel the moment and yeah. actually be in the moment yeah. because we're brilliant at deleting those moments in our lives. If we've, you know, it doesn't. You don't need to go five and a half thousand meters to actually achieve that. There are things that we set ourselves. You know, for some people, it's getting out of bed. That's an achievement. But actually, we should we should be at that point in our life where we start to feel those moments and we really recognise them. And I love the fact that you said sense when you've worked for something and actually again. We, we delete these things really quickly in our and we lives. we move on really yeah, fast. Yeah, just like delete, yeah. move on. Yeah, I think that those are really great points. So, although, back to I, 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 Before I go back to my point, I, I have to just say though, uh, right, I, I don't know what you're going on about. Um, right, because uh, the, <laughs> the weight you were carrying on your bike, I carry that everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> when I cycle a mountain pass, even half that size, I'm already carrying <laughs> that cargo. <laughs> Sorry, right. <laughs> so Dave had a question for you about when you're coming down, because also that, I, I'm comparing this very mildly, to you can walk up a really steep and a, a massive hike. Coming down is, I actually find, more difficult. 
So is it more difficult coming down on a bike? And actually, Dave asked you, how did your wrist fare through this whole process as well? Yeah, so um, it, it, it is more difficult riding down like off-road trails on a bike than it is probably going up them, particularly when you've got a lot of weight on the bike. So yeah. yes, it's true, but I think this trip was the right trip for myself and Ben to be doing at this stage in our lives because we, we just had so much biking you know experience beneath us yeah but, um it, we there was a lot of stuff that we didn't have to worry about that because we just knew how to do so it was the right thing to do at the right stage in our lives i think and um not having to worry about uh technically how we you know looked after the bikes or how we rode the bikes it allowed ourselves a lot more headroom to enjoy the trip, I think, and not stress over things and be nervous about things. So, um, so going down was was yeah, it was tricky, but actually not really a big thing for us. Without wanting to sound like you know big-headed or anything, but the wrist wrist was fine actually. Incredibly, the wrist was absolutely fine. I mean, I did get some soreness maybe at the end of the day, yeah. but um, but it really nothing that like distracted me during the day. It's incredible. So. Thank you, Harrogate Hospital. Yes, Absolutely. thank you, Harrogate Hospital. And, and I sent them a, a postcard while I was in the pool. Um, well, you know, one of the ones you do on your phone where you pick a picture and it yeah. was me at the pass at that five and a half thousand metre point. And as soon as I got some Wi-Fi, I uh, pinged off a postcard with that photo saying thank you to everyone at the orthopedic oh, team. Yeah, because I couldn't have done it without them, right? So talk, talk us through some of the social impacts of the ride. So in, in, in your wonderful blog, there's a great picture of a, of a man holding a toddler on one of the bikes, which is covered in the most amazing muck. <laughs> um, what, what, what did you notice about the people you encountered throughout the trip? Oh, the Nepali people are um, extremely um, courteous and uh, they're quite reserved actually. And I know that this is, sounds like a massive stereotype, but I can only speak from, from my experience and that was for the whole of the trip, we saw pretty much the same behavior, it, certainly in adults, children very different, but in adults, quite reserved and generally wait for you to engage. And as soon as you do say, you know, namaste or wave or smile, you get it straight back, but like with a bigger smile and more energy and just makes you feel great. And that was the case wherever we went, but it was very different actually to India, which I've been to before. And we went to later on in this trip where people are much quicker to engage with you um, and they don't wait for you. And it's very interesting um to experience that and I, i'd read it before i went but it was proved to be true when i was there but massively welcoming uh we were invited into people's houses uh, a guy rode past me on a motorbike one day started chatting to me this is on some bumpy dirt road dust flying up and uh he said well my house is you know uh, up the road i'm going to be waiting for you there and when you get to it, you're going to come in. And, and sure enough, he was stood by the roadside with his motorbike. And we're straight into the house and having tea and freshly made donuts, meeting the family. Yeah. And that, what, what, what was that like though? Because that, that's, that's it. you know, if you look at British society today and, and how communities have really been stripped back through services and that thing that was something in our past is, is less prevalent today. It's, it's upheld by 
charities in the churches and you know other things i mean that, that's unheard of isn't it so what was how did you feel walking into that situation yourself uh i yeah uh grateful i guess and massively interested really interested in in how their family unit works and um, it was lovely seeing the whole wider family in there doing different things someone was watching actually they had a tv someone was watching tv um his daughter was there you know she just made donuts so she was helping us out and he pointed out where his cow is and he was keen to explain you know how everything works in his household how they grow their food, where it comes from, how he sells a few bits to his neighbours. And he was just really uh, keen to explain the way his life is because he wanted to understand what ours was like and he had lots of questions for us as well. And so, how long did you stop for? Oh, we were there for 45 minutes to an hour. Wow. Yeah, it was lovely, yeah. And I think being interested in other people is a good thing, isn't it? And um, and you, you get a lot of that when you travel through Nepal is that people are very interested in, in you and your life because, you know, they just want to know about it. Yeah. And um, and I think we tune some of that down at home as well. We get less interested in other people um, because we're very busy getting on with our own stuff, aren't we, over here? And, and I, I, I yeah, I, I think I think we, we could be really remiss here of of not really calling that out and, and asking our listeners to think about just that one example of taking a real interest. You know, we we've uh, launched another podcast with our daughters um, called Mind Yourself, hosted by Debbie, and sometimes Debbie's a guest on it. Um, and they, over the last couple of weeks, they've been embracing this death by suicide and being really brave women, talking about what they've been through in their lives. Um, with Peter, their dad. and um, But in that process, we're also asking people to really think about human connection and how you just don't know what a difference that could actually make. And here you are in the middle of the ball, experiencing it for free, uh, not being asked about it, just choosing to be ingratiated in it. And boy, as a, as a group of listeners, as a team today, our clients, we implore everyone to really think about how you could do that better because I think it's a, it's a life gift when you embrace with another human being in a special way, either like you said, Ryan, in India where you don't have a choice or in Nepal where you make the choice and then you get more in abundance back. Make that decision, see what happens next. I, I love that. And you did say in the first episode about you wanted to see from chaos what, what happens. Cultural chaos. Yeah, cultural chaos. And, and I, lo I love these great examples that you're, you're, you're taking us through. So. Continue the descent down the mountain pass uh, and take us on what, what happened from there uh, to take you to India and, and give us a bit of a flavour of what that was like. Yeah, so obviously I can't do the whole trip uh, verbatim, but um, suffice to say we carried on going downhill and eventually when you get to the bottom of the hill it flattens out and it did uh, quite a lot. Um, we, we actually realised at one point that um, obviously our trip was going to end in India, but the majority of it was in Nepal. So we weaved in a, a detour into the second biggest city in Nepal called Pokhara, which we didn't really want to go to, um, but we realized it was the only opportunity we would have to go shopping for souvenirs. Okay. Because <laughs> you've got so much you can't, go away, yeah. you can't go away for five weeks when you've got a nine-year-old son <laughs> or come back and call souvenirs. So, um, so we went there purely to buy souvenirs, go shopping for two days, and box them all up and ship them all back to the UK before we jumped back on our bikes and carried on our way. 
towards India, which which was great to do. Um, and after a bit more of the infamous hill country, which is you know alpine pass heights again, yeah. we hit the flatlands of the, of the south, which is uh, if you remember the sandwich that I described, yeah. farm there. And um, we were heading due west by now, and we decided that we really wanted to see some some of the wildlife of Nepal, including the tigers that they've still got roaming wild. Okay. And that and going quite a long way west on this flat land, and. Um, I guess it was time for another lesson in um, managing a trip like this, which was be prepared to change and adapt when your instincts are telling you it's the right thing to do. And we were faced with riding on very flat, pretty featureless terrain for the next uh, three, four days. And after a, a day, I think day and a half of it, we, um, we just said, you know what? Our time would be better to spend in the, the jungle at the end of this stage looking for wildlife than it would be spending three or four days pretty much having the same day over and over again yeah so, so we looked for a jeep to take us there and um uh pay someone to basically drive us there with the bikes and of course that's another adventure isn't it so uh, so it's, it's okay to say we're not going to ride this bit it's all right not to do but but you're in, you're in a bike on your bike. But you're in a space where how do you get a jeep when you're in a, in a you know because we're not talking about hiring a car from a rental company, <laughs> are we? How, um, how do you source a jeep? We we we, we recognised that we were about to pass through what was going to be the last small town for quite a long time, so we stayed in the, in that town and we rode around and we just started asking people you know, as best we could. Um, <laughs> the power of sign language. So we were pointing at the bikes and we were using our hands or like a steering wheel, twisting them from side to side and pointing, you know, down the road. And eventually we came across someone that spoke enough English to just about understand. And it, after a lot of conversations with a large group of people uh, surrounding us, eventually we, we do manage to get a Jeep ready to take us to uh, this uh, game reserve uh, at the far end of the country, and it's um, it's a long drive. It's a it's a full I don't know six six hour drive, seven hour drive in a jeep, but not in this jeep because the jeep that we got, the only jeep that was available, was <laughs> the worst jeep in the pool. <laughs> was so dangerous. I've, I've never seen a set of tyres like it. And just as we'd finished uh, strapping the bikes on the on the roof of the, the Jeep and getting into it, we, we both spotted them and we got in the back and said, this isn't going to work, is it? And uh, sure enough, we had two blowouts at speed um, while we were on our way. And, and then the spare came out and the spare was, if it was possible to be worse, it was worse than the ones that we were in the Jeep. And we had to try and get tires repaired um, and I've never seen I've never seen a car tire with three inner tubes already inside it uh, right yeah so this is the thing this is the and thing. did you did you make it there in this we did we made it there <laughs> made it there in the deep of, of night we should have been there before it was sundown so we had a long stretch to do in the dark at the end of it you know nerves are pretty frayed um, but we did get there do you, do you happen to know if the driver made it back? Big pardon? Do you happen to know if the driver who took you there did make it back to his village? The thing is, the, the guy that organised the Jeep put his son in the front seat with the driver 
because his son spoke better English. The driver didn't really speak any English and his son spoke some English and, you know, as a, a kind of a goodwill gesture, he stuck his son in for this crazy trip. So when the Jeep turned around to go back, it must have been 11 o'clock at night. They were both in it. And I've no idea, you know, we offered for them to stay at the lodge that we got to to sleep for the night, but they know they turned around and I've no idea to this day what happened. Yeah. Think, I'm sure they did, because I think one yeah. of the things that you've just said about adaptability and, and what we think is tolerable and acceptable is that everybody's got their own their own levels and you know if that is their life's a three inner tubes to them that is their normal and i think i spoke to some about this the other day and it's about we're really good at categorizing yeah. everybody else's normal there yeah. is no normal the normal is relevant to the individual so i suppose like you say your nerves were frayed for them that is how they travel <laughs> that is their normal for you it's not your normal and for dave as we know he likes a good comfy car uh, <laughs> it's definitely not his normal so i think that's a massive learning itself is that we have to start to see other human beings rather than categorizing everyone and generalizing them that our normal is personal towards us not yeah. relevant and, and typical western society is, is described as quite sterile isn't it everything is clean everything is multiple washed yeah. you know cars are modern they're within a certain range do you remember when we went to morocco debbie and we got a taxi and if you ever wondered where the 1960s e-class mercedes went whatever they were called these wonderful comfy sofa cars that once were on the streets of britain well, they in, had the a 60s, in the 60s they had a sofa did, in the back it didn't yeah. have a car seat it had a sofa yeah, in, in the, the back, back. yeah yeah <laughs> you, you wonder where all these cars go You're, the assumption is they go to the wreckage yard no they were on the continent being used as the african <laughs> continent being used as taxis as yeah. normal so you have to adjust so what was it like going to look for the tigers and did you manage to see one yeah Oh, yeah, just one second on your point about sofas in the back of cars. The Jeep that I mentioned, the ignition, it wasn't a key anymore. It had been replaced with a light switch. <laughs> <laughs> it was a light switch like you would see on the wall in a really cheap house. Yeah. And it, <laughs> well, and you, I think that's a perfect sign of adaptability and skill. Because if you can turn an ignition into a light switch, that's pretty impressive. Amazing. Anyway, yeah, so we, uh, what was it like looking for tigers? It was scary because we did it on foot because apparently that's what you wow. do when you went there uh, and uh, so we rolled in with uh, uh, two Germans actually uh, who were working in um, NGOs out there and they bumped off actually uh, from their job for a few days to come and do this and they said yeah we're gonna go walk around with the you know look for the tigers it's gonna be good so we said yeah okay we'll do that and uh, you enter the park because it is still a like in Africa, it is still reserved, but they're wild um, and it's huge space, massive, uh, thousands of acres. And from the moment you walk in, no talking, just very quiet whispering and lots of hand signals how you know we're going to move this way. And we've all been told how to move through the park, which is single file. Whoever's at the back has to be extra careful because it's normally the person at the front or the person at the back that gets taken. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the guide had a stick. Uh, should the worst happen, um, he'd be ready with his stick. His stick, uh, yeah. Stick. Um, but we didn't have a stick, so uh, we had to. Uh, you have. Yeah, we had to keep close. 
So it was a totally different experience again, you know, just uh, moving through this uh, tall grass way up above our heads, following tiger footprints that, that are obviously fresh and we found tiger droppings. And um, I've never experienced anything like it. And I, I would say now in hindsight, luckily we did not find the tiger that day, um, much as we wanted to. But um, a few, about I think 10 days later, we were in a city in India and we went into a zoo in the city and they had tigers and we saw the tiger and Ben and I just looked at each other and said, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> what, what the hell are we doing? Look at, the, look at the beast in front of us and what were we doing trying to surprise it in its own turf? <laughs> deep jungle. Um, yeah, so it was a really good experience and we were disappointed that we didn't see the tiger but the, the, the sense of like anticipation was more than enough of stalking. I've never done that, stalked around in the jungle, literally on edge the whole day, thinking this this thing's going to burst out of the grass and savage us all. Yeah. And it does happen, we read about it afterwards and there are deaths in the park. So yeah, yeah, one of those things that you chalk up to experience, I guess. Well, yeah. Kind of. I don't think it's something that I would personally do. If I was in a cage and somebody was kind of transporting throughout it, I think. But I suppose it's that an ability to manage your own fear, isn't it? An ability to say. So just to clarify, if if, <laughs> if we get you a cage, <laughs> is that what you heard, Ryan? If we get yeah, Debbie a cage, do, yeah, if I was we could plant you right in the middle of a field full of lions. No, well, yeah, it's like going shark swimming, isn't it? They drop you in a cage, yeah, the shark they, can't no, get no, you. Yeah, but the lions aren't in the sea. No, I know, but I'm just saying, they were walking with no protection and a stick. They had a stick, and Debbie. They had a stick. <laughs> Have I you just, seen the Lion King? You know, the, 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 the monkey that advises the, the king, he's got a stick. Oh, okay. So after this very scary, and I, I, by the way, I know your wife, and I would have punched you if I had been there and known yeah, how you're at the risk. Of we saw a wild elephant, we saw a rhino, uh, beautiful bird life. So it was, it wasn't just a, you know, a walk in, in in the jungle that we saw. Yeah, I'm not sure anybody just goes for a stroll well, in the jungle. We, we, we did walk along a riverbank where the long grass meets the water, and I thought this is crazy as well because this is where they come. Well, we were walking along that riverbank because that's where the tiger goes to drink, and we knew we were close to it. Anyway, we were walking along in this mud. Uh, at the edge of the water. And as we came out of the river, we went up onto a bank and looked back where we just walked and a crocodile had come out. We should take a different tap for a moment and say how delighted we are you're here on the show. Yes, fantastic. Wow, <laughs> um, right, so what happened next? Uh, when you left this park in one piece miraculously, what, what, what was the next part of your uh, ne the next, uh, The next stage was uh, get over the border. So we rode through beautiful, flat, uh, rural uh, rice fields. Um, it was just, you know, stunning scenery, or, you know, it was flat but stunning. And we got to the Indian border and uh, that was pretty interesting actually um, in that there was no, there was no, there were no stops. We pretty much rode through, um, just along with thousands of other people, with carts, lorries, uh, motorbikes, all heading through this little tiny funnel. And just like that, we were in India, and everything changed again. Um, busier, noisier, uh, just yeah, different. And uh, we spent another 
three days traveling straight down into India uh, towards um, a city called uh, Lucknow. And um, we thought we were going to spend the next week and a half traveling from there across to Delhi, which was our final destination. But we we changed it up again once we got to Lucknow and we decided that we didn't want to ride the last stint uh, because the last the last couple of days in India, they just weren't as rich um, as what we'd been experiencing back in Nepal. It was finally, it was proving to be a lot harder to find anywhere where you'd want to stay, frankly, um, in India. Um, it was just, it just felt like the right thing to do, to, to, to find a different way to get to Delhi, rather than riding on what was flat, but pretty urban sort of territory, and really, really not all that pleasant to stop off in. And it wasn't the people, but it was just, there wasn't really anything really to reward you and make you feel like this was something that you wanted to do. It was more felt like something you just wanted to get through. Yeah. So we, we looked to the trains and um, we found a way to get ourselves on the train from one city to another six or 700 kilometers. But um, it turned out that the bikes couldn't go on the train. So then we had to find a way to get the bikes couriered ahead of us to Delhi. And um, that was difficult too, because it goes across states and um, moving across states in India is quite a big thing when you've got um, uh, goods. Right. But eventually we got it cracked and we did a deal in the hotel lobby where we'd uh, finished off and boxed up our bikes, having found cardboard boxes in the city, by the way, uh, that would take the bikes. And that was a great adventure. Um, and uh, we handed over some money and we expected when we went outside uh, to go and get a cup of coffee in town to see the bikes being put into the back of a lorry, right? Uh, to start their journey. No, they're being roped onto the back of a rickshaw that is then pedaled off by a guy wearing, you know, just a piece of cloth around his waist, yeah? Off into the city somewhere. And that was it. That was the last we saw of them. Right. Whatever. No. All oh, right. No. I was going to say. Well, I was going to say. Gosh. So, yeah. so there's another element for me here is that one of the things you have displayed throughout this whole trip is kind of true, 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 true trust. Can I come down words? True, 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 true trust. True trust of other people as well, because you know that is and had been your trans mode of transport, um, self chauffeuring uh, and now you've just surrendered it and allowed your trust to just embrace it and say off we go i'm going to see it at the other end 100 percent. you you cannot play by you know the rules that you're used to because they do not apply so yeah you, you have to accept that there's only so much you can do and if you want this thing to happen whatever the thing is there comes a point where you've just got to say okay okay yeah. so watching the bike get roped onto the back of a rickshaw and then pedaled off god knows where while the, the guys that you've just given them the money to jump in a car and go off in a different direction you just have to accept well that's the way they work and at some point it's going to get loaded onto a truck and a truck will head off and and they'll take care of it and sure enough uh seven or eight days later when we did make it into delhi um the bikes turned up yeah there they were yeah, leaning how did it feel being back in Delhi? So having left Delhi by plane to go to Kathmandu, how did it feel being back there when you made it? Yeah, that was a really strange feeling actually. 
really strange feeling, not least because when we got to Delhi, we went and bought ourselves a nice pair of jeans and a fresh t-shirt and new trainers because we'd only had literally like uh, a couple of items each, you know, that we'd been furiously turning over every day um, after washing them. So it was great to be in Delhi and living a really different life, actually. We felt like tourists. When we arrived, we felt like explorers um, the first time on our way off on a great adventure. But when we got back, we felt like tourists. We'd lost the identity of being in our shorts, covered in dirt, you know, pushing, having our bikes with us wherever we went. And now we just felt like we just blended into this massive city like any other tourist that was there. And it was kind of a strange feeling, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting interpretation because you forget that. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not a great tourist. I like to go into the bits that they don't really want you to go into and explore and actually, like you said, go and experience somebody else's culture. You know, yeah. I don't want to feel that I'm sat in a sanitized environment because I'm a tourist and I want to really experience how other people live. So I think that's that's really interesting that it kind of from what just a change of clothing and yeah. that whole right. concept is it takes you to somewhere else. So I'm going to interrupt here because well, there's two questions I want to ask both of you because I think this is Dave always gets away with not answering questions. Is this whole trip and I mean there's so much rich content and lessons and stuff how does that translate to home life how how do you have yeah. all these experiences and then ultimately rather than just kind of package them up and it's a really nice memory and it's an achievement how do you then translate that into real life home life living life doing life how, how does it happen or does it not it has to, I think. Yeah, I don't. It, it has to translate into home life in some way. I, I guess it has to be for me. It's through just your outlook in in terms of what you can do and what you. Particularly when I, I always kind of relate a lot of stuff back to Cody, my son, um, and and how I want him to believe that he can do things that he thinks are kind of dreams really in his mind but you can do this um, and you have to bring that sense of possibility back home with you and that yeah it, it's, it's things are possible and I, I, I would say that's that's how it really translates back yeah. uh, and the other thing obviously is you really appreciate your family when you get back when you've been away from them and, and I definitely believe that a bit of absence away from what you love definitely real that makes you realize what's most yeah. important from for you so uh i've definitely brought a lot of that back and it's probably worn off a bit now after three or four months that that sense of it's so good to be home and back amongst you guys and just doing the things that you take for granted back home um and i'm already now starting to think about what the next trip is going to be um, because I do think um, getting away from, like I say, what, what you really value most can be quite a good thing to do. Yeah, I appreciate that. Dave, that's something for you to learn, isn't it? That we work together 24 7. Exactly, appreciation of the opportunity trips. to get away. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just book my ticket, Ryan. <laughs> no, but even down to, you know, my greatest passion is cycling, even down to taking a break from that. Yeah. yeah it can be a good thing to do because it, all the senses of why you love it so much are a bit sharper when you go back to it, I think. 
Well, I, I have to just, just give you some kudos for, I remember calling you last March before you came out and taught me a lesson in what good standards are. Um, I, I remember calling you going halfway up to South Calabria, one of the best rides in the world, in the world of cycling, to go and right, get the chance to cycle. And just telling you that I was feeling like, like I wasn't there. And you gave me this advice that said, maybe change your training, don't lose your mojo this early in the season, otherwise it's going to turn into a chore. And you're absolutely right. Having that variation does give you that chance to, to stay in love with something you like doing. Did you say you wanted to ask me a question as well? Yes, you talked about, so from Ryan's perspective, is this translating to a, a much more growth mindset, possibility, openness. Yeah. Um, and the, the words I've written down are human kindness, respect, mm. adaptability, uh, and being flexible, you know, we, we set a goal and actually the goal can meander from A to Z in any which way possible, but you've still achieved it. It just so happens that you kept yourself really open. And I think that's actually how things go wrong is when people aren't flexible or agile or um, it can go wrong. So a happiness model is what? Because that kind of translates to how I, I would see I, it. I think it connects up both worlds perfectly in terms of this special edition podcast because most people think a happiness model is built upon a feeling and that feeling can have things that feeling can have you know could be things you want to have in your home it could be things you want to possess or own or build up in your life money in the bank control right whereas a happiness model stripped all the way back is traditionally and I think is permanently none of those things a happiness model is built around and it, it, it stems right from the, the world of neuro-linguistic programming at a source but crosses five or six fields in one go and we focus in on stimulus versus response right so stimulus versus response is what is it that's going to make me happy do i even know right not how do i feel about those things you don't go there yet and then you look around the world, for example, Debbie, and you have a look at the world and say, like, like Nepal, uh, like you were sharing with us, Ryan, and you weigh up, what do they look at? You know, um, my, my favorite example is to look at places in the world where humans don't have the choices that you, Ryan, or I have. So for example, if you went to parts of Syria in the midst of conflict, what are the human choices in play? They're not gonna be, what car do you drive, are they? They're not gonna be, how much money have I got? What clothes am I wearing? Which is what often we end up seeing people, listening to people talk about. So a happiness model is deciding when you wake up in the morning, what is your happiness model? And for me, for example, Debbie, one of my top of my list is I am delighted to wake up alive. And let's pause to the listeners that might sound extreme. Unfortunately, millions of people didn't last night. Didn't get to embrace another day. So a happiness model is a really rich sense of things that are often so simple it's unheard of. Now, can you feed your family? Do you have a roof over your head tonight? Do you have, can you provide for those that you love? Now, I don't want to be too idealistic about it, um, but then I also do because I, in my experience as a coach, it's never anything else. And taking people and stripping it all back, right? Like you've seen on your trip, right? Stripping it all the way back, all the way back, all the way back to what is it really? What do I take with me after this experience? 
that's what happiness really is. Does the person who you love the most know that you love them? And should that and if that if they don't, what an opportunity. So let's just check, do you? Yes, I do. Oh, that's a relief, isn't it? Could have been in trouble there. <laughs> uh, so it's that, it's 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 taking your happiness model right down to the basics of human needs in the world and asking, do you have it? Do you know what that is? And stopping to think, well, my top five happiness items are, and they're not things. Nice. That makes sense? Yeah. Go on, Debbie, that didn't sound convincing, did it, right? No, yeah, I just, I, my brain's just sitting there, it, translating how does that so if i'm ryan i'm not ryan uh, if i'm ryan and i've gone through this incredible adventure but also just seeing life yeah. through a different lens ultimately and actually seeing these different cultures different people how people can be human <laughs> and be humankind um and i actually think that some of it is missing in our western society i really do believe that i believe that we uh, choose that you know I'm so busy I can't have this conversation with you why not you know, that's you're choosing I am choosing not to respond I am choosing not to connect I am choosing they're all choices those people chose to connect with you uh, invite you into their homes I, I can't ever imagine the last time I've invited somebody if I whom I didn't know into my home to experience what I have to give them and I would do gratefully but why don't I do it? It's a choice. It's a great I choose, question, yeah. I choose yeah. not to do that. And I think that to me is how does, how do you go, how do you keep feeding that, right? How do you, because you're saying you're now planning the next trip. Um, is it a solo trip? Is it a dual trip? Is it a family trip? How, how do you continue to do that? Because and, like you said, I do believe we that must, you need to be fed. We must ask him what his thoughts are, but going by his school talk that he did, I think um, my understanding is he's going to cycle to Mars. Is that right? <laughs> So how do, how do you feed that, Ryan? What, what are your thoughts, if any? Oh, I mean, I fed, it, I fed it a little bit by sharing my experience with um, uh, a lot of kids when I got back. Yeah. I went, I've mentioned offline uh, between podcasts that I went to my son's school and spent a couple of hours chatting to uh, 60 or so kids uh, about my experiences, but really putting the emphasis on them about what do they think adventure is, what would how would they go about planning an adventure? Um, where would they like to go? Uh, what would they like to see in the world? Uh, just using my experience as kind of a prompt for them, really. So that was a really nice way to feed what I came back with and keep it keep it moving forwards, I suppose. Um, and in terms of the next trip, I, I don't know at the moment. I really don't know what, what it will be at the moment. Literally, I've spent a couple of evenings with Google Maps uh, up, but at the world level looking across uh, the world and thinking about what the different uh, countries I'm looking at mean to me and what I might, what might want to know a bit more about them. But at the moment, I really don't know where, where it's going to take me or who we. I think you need to cycle across Antarctica. Not sure that's even possible. On, on a bike sledge. On a bike sledge. Anyway, I don't think it's your choice. And no, I don't. This is one of the things, just wrapping up, kind of uh, tying it all together, is one of the things that you said on the last one is, don't live someone else's life, live your own. And actually use this conversation that we've been having over these past two podcasts in, as, a, as an idea and an exploration of what is your own adventure. You know, whatever that adventure is, for some people it might be, you know, something as big as just going, seeing an old friend, you know, as an adventure it might be, using a different form of transport. It could be, I think we, I love your example of, 
going talking to a group of 60 year fives and telling stories. That to me is one of the best examples of sharing. You it know, is. because people are so egotistical in today's society that we forget that the people that we should nurture and guide are the children. You know, there's a whole Whitney Houston song. But I think there's a whole thing about we we miss that. We delete it. We kind of see it as insignificant. Um, and I just think that is incredible. That's where that that story yeah. is. But, but you can flip it both ways. You know, Einstein went to school. You know, and 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 I, I put that out there as a thought for all the reasons you can imagine. You imagine that he was a child, so the responsibility of the teachers in his life was the same, and and, and and humans, leaders, parents, role models is the same. And and I also love one of the things that you said, Brian, in that in between podcast conversation about the school was um, getting the children to consider that they could live out their own dream and not pursue somebody else's. And I love that yeah. because I don't know an adult on this planet that couldn't think about that for long enough and, and adjust their plans, ideas, thoughts, actions. And I think it's a really, really wonderful point. And go back just one step as well, the word possibility, about discovering what your own possibility is and, and being brave enough. You know, when you went to Kathmandu and you, you were telling us about your well thought plans were relatively, let's see what happens to a degree, going right back to the first episode. How many of us could actually get off a plane, be in a foreign land and decide, I wonder what's gonna happen next. I'm not sure it's for everybody, but the consideration is for everybody. You know, you don't have to do it. And that's what I love about your adventure. We said this in the first round, in the first episode, you bring to people by sharing this with us on Bubble Lee Do Business, the chance to stop and think, what would I have done? Would I have done that? And then if if another thought comes out of that, an ancillary thought that means they go and do something else, I, I think that's wonderful. So uh, Debbie, uh, I'm gonna give Ryan the chance, it's tradition. Is there any question you'd like to ask Debbie? I mean, literally anything, Ryan, before we start to wrap up today? No. <laughs> I am not prepared for that at all. Thanks, uh, Ryan, I really appreciate that. There's no questions required. Okay. I'm unprepared. Well, that's okay. Debbie, I will ask you what I asked the uh, the year fives at the end of my chat, which was, what would your adventure be? I think my adventure is, gosh, what is my adventure? My adventure, I've had, I have had so many adventures. So I think uh, one of my biggest adventures was getting on a plane and going meeting somebody that I never knew in New York uh, with very little money at that time and experiencing and building a new relationship with Louise, who was a chef over there. So that was a massive one for me because I've, I, I actually know what my adventure is, removing my own limiting beliefs. That's my adventure. That, Cause I am my own obstacle. One second, <laughs> there goes the mic drop. Because I know I can do it, and when I'm, <coughs> I'm hugely stubborn. Um, I am actually you're, you're part not. of my character. That's not. I didn't know. And I, and I think that's what I, I need to continue, and I need to embrace my stubbornness because that gets me to do stuff that I wouldn't normally do. So yeah, my adventure is to continue being stubborn and to really just keep going at it and remove limited beliefs. Love it. Great question, Ryan. Thank you. And. Um, a final question to you, Ryan. Is there one last thing you'd like to leave as a thought out there from you to anyone listening? 
Uh, only what I said at the start, really, which is that don't think other people do it. Yeah. Just don't think that that's something that other people will do, whatever that is. Huge message. I think it's a Mahushid message, Debbie. You overplayed the word. That's a massive message. So, Ryan, it has been an absolute true so joy to have you <laughs> share this adventure with us. I know that uh, our listeners are going to be really enriched by your story, your adventure. And I, 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 I can't wait to hear about people who then reference it and tell us what it opens up in their mind and they're driving along thinking about different things in their spaces too. So many things to recap. So please do listen to both episodes of this podcast and embrace uh, your own potential. So uh, I've been uh, Dave Evans. This has been Double D Do Business Extended Special Edition. A big thank you, Ryan, to you. Thank you, Ryan. Pleasure, thank you. And Debbie, as always, for being with us. It's wonderful to have you on our show. We're so lucky. Carry on. Thank you. And to anyone listening, any action you take, do share with us across our social media handles, which are, Debbie? At RLC Global Group. And any others? That's it. Brilliant. And join us, comment on our Facebook pages too, which are? At RLC Global Group. She's good, isn't she? <laughs> and uh, we'd love to hear about any spin-off thoughts of this creates. And to the rest of us, every success with your learning.